0: Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Matthew as we continue our study through Matthew chapter 3 and 4. We're in chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 today. Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. You know, uh, Kathy and I and our kiddos served as missionaries in Japan for 10 years and You know, being a missionary would be really easy, except for the people. (laughs) And I say that in jest, of course, but it was December 2001. We had uh, had just moved to Sapporo, Japan, a few months earlier. Uh, We had five children at the time. The oldest was eight, so five children, eight and under, and so it was a busy time. December 23rd at that time was a national holiday in Japan because it was the Emperor's birthday. Christmas was a great time of outreach as it is around the world because people have seen Christmas on movies and TV and so Christmas Day was not a holiday in Japan and so on December 23rd we had two house church Christmas outreach worship services with decorations and the setup and the food and Christmas Eve, we had one or two—I can't remember—Christmas outreach services in our house with the decorations and the food and the setup. And that was over Christmas Eve night, and uh, so then it was time to turn our attention to trying to get ready for Christmas morning with five small children. And by the time Christmas Day came, we were we were pooped, we were exhausted. And uh, so, but finally, Christmas Day was was ours, and we had a lot of people in our house all the time. Japanese folks, but but here it was. Christmas was ours until the afternoon. Ding dong. And our dear friend, young man, you know, it's Christmas in America. What better way to spend Christmas afternoon than hanging out with the missionaries? And uh, so I I know it sounds cold and heartless, but it was just a day where we just really didn't want to have guests. We'd had guests a lot in the last two days, and so we spent some time Exhausted trying to entertain him for a little while, but uh, we loved him, still love him, but his timing wasn't the best. Well, uh, but imagine our Lord today in his timing. We finished last week. Jesus had been uh, baptized, even though he didn't need to be baptized. It was the way that he chose to be coronated as the King of Kings, and he chose to identify with me and with you at every step of the way, and so he's baptized to picture. But we still picture in baptism that the old man, the old woman who has been born as a sinner, as we all are separated from Christ, when we come to know Christ as our Savior, that we're born again, raised to new life spiritually with the Spirit of the living God living inside of us. And so Jesus gives uh, credibility and gives his stamp on baptism. And there at the end of that baptism, we looked last week, the heavens were opened God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are all represented there uh, simultaneously in the voice from heaven. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So the voice of the Father for all of those listening is also saying, this is the Messiah. This is the one for whom you've waited all of these years. It's a, it's a glorious time. And then it says here in verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then the devil took him into the holy city, And had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Wow. So, as is so common, right after this wonderful time of worship and glory of the lord the devil can't wait he still does that today to you and to me can't tell you the times of of worship over the years where it's been a glorious wonderful day in the lord's house and and then immediately after there's something some sort of discouragement or test or temptation from the lord they always tell pastors don't ever resign on monday morning Uh, it's it's you wait till tuesday you'll feel better Another pastor said, of course, I don't take Monday off. If I'm going to feel that bad, I want the church to pay for it. So I'm going to be at work. So Anyway, lots of preacher jokes. But anyway, here's Jesus. And it's interesting. It says that he was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's an interesting verse. We could spend a long time here. Here's Jesus again, even displaying for us how to be led by the spirit. I mean, Jesus was the Spirit. The Spirit was the same God that He was. But here, as Jesus has purposely, intentionally placed limits on His life for this time here on the earth, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, He was still 100% God. He didn't lose any of that. But He made Himself have to eat and sleep. And He related to the Father. He prayed like we pray. He studied the Word like we studied the Word. And here he is led by the Spirit. It's a beautiful study throughout the Gospels, watching Jesus always trying to glorify the Father. Watching the Father always giving credit to and glorifying Jesus. And now he's glorifying Jesus and having Jesus glorified in heaven forever and ever and ever. It's the way a marriage ought to work, where we're, we're seeking to give the other credit. We're seeking to make life better for the other. But here's Jesus, led by the Spirit, where? Into the wilderness, and it was a wilderness desert there in in that region where John was baptizing, to be tempted by the devil. God doesn't tempt anyone. He told us that. It's not God's will that we sin. The devil loves to tempt us. You read through the Scripture, the devil loves his whole goal for your life is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It's a wonderful game plan he has for your life. We read over in Revelation how he accuses the brethren, that's you, that's me, accuses us day and night before the throne of God. God doesn't tempt anyone. The devil doesn't have any leash of authority that God doesn't give him. We saw that in the book of Job as we studied it. But the devil can't wait to tempt Jesus. Jesus, who is the spotless lamb, the sinless one, the only possible sacrifice to pay for my sin, to pay the penalty for your sin. He had to be sinless and he had to prove it. And so God just cuts to the chase and says, devil, I know you can't wait. And I know that Jesus has to prove himself holy and spotless. So let's just get this initial test over. It's not the only temptation of Christ. Read over in Luke's account of this same passage. He says at the end that the devil left until an opportune time. He will be back. But this is the biggie and the first test of Jesus' public ministry. So it says he goes in the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. It's distinguished there from some fasts. Ramadan, for example, is a daytime fast. Ramadan, you fast during daylight hours and once it gets dark, you eat as much as you can. When we were in Senegal uh, during Ramadan one time and our, our local IMB missionaries told us that the grocery stores sell more food during Ramadan than they do before and after. So it's kind of a... It's a pointless fast. But Jesus is fasting here. Why is he fasting? Once again, he's setting the example for us. Fasting is throughout Scripture. Many folks get overwhelmed thinking about fasting, and so they don't fast at all. What does fasting accomplish? Well, it sets our mind on the Lord. It says that in the case of food, it could be something else. But usually, primarily in the case of food, it's saying that, I want to say to you, God, that you're more important than anything else in my life. It may be at a time when we're seeking direction. We might fast. It's a time when even physiologically our, our bodies aren't using energies to digest food and our minds can think more clearly. So if you've been overwhelmed with fasting, I've been there uh, with you. I wish I could say this is my best spiritual discipline. It's not, but you join me. Uh, seek to ask God how this year you might fast if you don't again don't get overwhelmed start with a meal two meals or a day but you join me in asking God what what kind of fasting regularity might you have this year when you do use that extra time at least some of it as much as you can to focus on the Lord and on his word well here's Jesus and it's an interesting phrase here it says he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and then he became hungry well He was hungry at other points as well. I think the meaning is that he has now turned his attention off of his fast. It is now time for him to be able to eat. And he would have been hungry, obviously. And so that's when the devil comes in. He likes to catch us weak. And here's Jesus weak physically. And Jesus is going to give us a beautiful example how to deal with testing, how to deal with temptation. The word can mean both, to test or to tempt. And it is both at times. The devil wants to do both and in your life. And when he does, there's one thing you need. That's the Word of God. When you're weak, when you're going through the dark night of the soul, you need the Word of God. And you need to already know the Word of God. Now, you can look it up. But it's going to be a lot better if you've got it ready. Let's look at what Jesus did. The devil comes to Jesus and he says, If you are the Son of God, mocking, because that's what God has just declared about him, the Father has, command that these stones become bread. And all around there, there would be uh, lying around these oval-like stones that kind of look like little loaves of bread. And so he says, If you're the Son of God, turn these stones into the bread that I know your body wants. Could Jesus have turned those stones to bread? Absolutely. He made the stones. He could turn them into anything he wanted to. But throughout all of these temptations, it's not so much in all the cases, and some of them it's just the temptation itself is wrong, but in this temptation it's not that Jesus wasn't allowed to eat bread. It's not that Jesus didn't have the power to turn it to bread, but it's the why and it's the who. It's obeying the devil here. The devil is appealing to Jesus. We're going to read in a moment. First, John two talks about three large categories of temptation in our life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, legitimate hungers in many cases that God has given us used the wrong way. Hunger for food is, is certainly from the Lord, but the devil wants him to use it in a wrong way. God has given us a legitimate desire for physical satisfaction with our spouse and only with our spouse. But the devil wants to come in and tempt us to use a legitimate drive in the wrong way. And on and on it could go. It can be financial. It could be to cheat. It could be to take something that's not mine. It could be to look at things that I don't need to look at. It could be to steal from you through slander. It could be gambling. So you could just, man, you can get it today. You can get that money today. Well, money's not bad. But trying to get it today and be rich now with the wrong motives, trying to bypass the way that the Lord blesses us as we work and as we honor him with our finances. On and on and on it could go, but to take a legitimate hunger and to use it the wrong way. So he tests Jesus. He's also testing his deity on top of all of that. And so Jesus answers, says, well, let's talk about this. I'd like to dialogue with you. I'd like to argue with you. I'd like to go back and forth. I'd like to consider your offer a little bit longer. No. That's where we get in trouble. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that no temptation has overtaken us, but such as is common to man. And with the temptation, God will provide the way of escape. But from the moment the temptation comes... The way of escape begins to get smaller and smaller very, very rapidly. Until the point of sin, it's always possible for us to turn back. The Lord is still providing a way of escape, but we need to be ready with the Word of God. That's what Jesus did. Now, no, we don't argue, we don't debate. You start thinking about the devil's temptations and deciding if he's right or wrong, you're most likely going to lose. It's immediate. Immediately. I heard someone say one time, it's a great, if you you can, verbally, while you're pulling that scripture up, just let your first answer be no. Maybe it needs to be a whisper in some situations. No. But immediately, he fires back with the scripture. It is written, Jesus needed the scripture to fight temptation. I need the scripture to fight temptation. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, the devil's not happy. So now he takes him into the holy city and he has Jesus stand on the pinnacle of the temple. This is more than likely he and Jesus are having this visually. Jesus probably wasn't literally standing on the pinnacle. Not sure exactly which pinnacle. One possible solution was the portico of Herod, which would stand looking over the Kidron Valley 450 feet in the air. But he's looking over this and he says, Hey, throw yourself down. For it is written. So the devil says, I'll try my hand at scripture. And the devil loves to lie and to deceive and to appear, even as we're told, an angel of light. He says that he quotes and he says he will give his angels charge concerning you. And on their hands, they'll bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Well, it leaves a little bit out there. And he twists the meaning and the purpose of the scripture. And Jesus confronts him with what? With the scripture. On the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, if Jesus had thrown himself down. Could God have saved him? Of course he could. Would God have saved him? We're not told. I can't imagine that he would not have. But again, it's the why. It's the who. Jesus had the power. God had the power. But God doesn't run a three-ring circus. Christianity is not supposed to be a circus sideshow. It's not through sensationalism that we lead people to Christ. We have to ask ourselves if we use something to bring people to Christ, we're going to need to keep using that to keep them happy in Christ. Whereas the Scripture's method is to tell people in coming to Christ, you are a sinner, I am a sinner, and you need a Savior. Uh, Boring of presentation as it could be, dull as it might be, the bottom line for why you need to come to Christ is that you need a Savior. Not because we've wowed you into wanting salvation. So Jesus says, I could do that. But this is the same Jesus that could have called for the legions and legions and legions of angels to rescue him off the cross. But that wasn't God's will. And that wasn't why he came. And so Jesus said, no, you should not put the Lord your God to a test. Well, the devil's not happy. So he begins to show him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says to Jesus, all these things will I give you if you fall down and worship me. What a liar. What a liar he is. How he lies to you, how he lies to me, and offers us all of these things. Well, there's a lot of flaws in his temptation here. Number one, he doesn't have it to give. It doesn't belong to him in the first place. And in the second place, it belongs to Jesus already. It's going to belong to him in a, in a new way once he endures the cross and the resurrection. All that the devil wants to give to Jesus is already going to be Jesus's if he'll only follow through to the end. If he'll follow through as he did for you and as he did for me in refusing these temptations, in allowing men to put him on a cross so that he will be resurrected, so that now he is glorified forever and ever and ever in heaven. And the devil says, all you got to do is worship me. Let's just go ahead and get this over with. Let's make this a little faster, Jesus. Why wait three more years? Why go through all you're going to go through on the cross? Just worship me, and I'll give it all to you. Sound familiar? Oh, it does. He comes to you, he comes to me, and he says, why wait? Young people, the devil comes to you and says, why wait on physical relationships? Get as close as you can or go all the way into physical relationships. There's no reason. That's, a, that's an old, old wives tale, fuddy-duddy thing. Don't wait. You can be happy now. And he's lying because he doesn't have it to give to you. Over in the sin of Achan, there Achan in the book of Joshua, Achan said about that idol that he took when the Lord had said, Don't take anything. Achan said, I saw it. That wasn't his fault. He just saw it. I said, but then I coveted it. I started thinking about it, and it was over. And then I took it because the devil was lying to him, just like he lies. He says you can just have it. Wait, wait, no one will ever know. You can just have it. So I saw it. It wasn't my fault. I started thinking about it, and it was a downhill battle at that point. And then I took it. And then he says, and I hid it. Then there's no fourth space in there. Where he says I enjoyed it. Didn't enjoy it for one second. As soon as he took it, he went and hid it and was miserable. And that's the way you are. That's the way I am. When we say yes to the devil's temptations, he offers everything. And the moment we say yes, we're miserable. In the Proverbs, Solomon writes about the man who follows into temptation, into immoral sin. It says like an arrow piercing his liver. Oh, isn't that the feeling of sin? There's a theological term that I like to use about the feeling after we sin. It's an ancient Greek word, and the word is yucky. What a horrible, horrible feeling it feels when I sin. When I say yes to temptation. And the devil has promised everything, and he can't deliver one thing. But if we will, like Jesus... Say no. All that the devil promises us falsely, God has for us in true and lasting satisfaction and joy. And here's Jesus, the Son of God, God in human flesh. And what does he need in order to accomplish this? He needs the Word of God. The devil testing his greed. His ambition, the lust of the eyes. And Jesus, through Scripture, shows us this is how you say no. I was reading this very morning. In my quiet time, I was reading the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau is the exact opposite example. Esau comes in. He's hungry. And he says to his brother, give me some of that red stuff. Perhaps it was Pesole, because it was... Red soup, I don't know. He says, give me some of that. And it wasn't right of Jacob to ask for it, but he says, uh, I'll trade you for your birthright. And he quickly just says, I'll give anything. Just give me the food. Exact opposite of Jesus here. And then, of course, the rest of Esau's life is a result of that and other decisions similar to it. Oh, that we could say No. Oh, that we can give God glory. It is an act of worship when you say no, when I say no to the devil's temptations. It is like we studied in the book of Job. God is forever, right now, glorified when I say no, when you say no. And Jesus did this. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, he did all of this. He said no, endured the pain, left the glories of heaven, lived as a man on this earth for you. Because he loved you that much. And he was the only possible way to die for you and to pay the price for you and for me for our sin. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. And the devil left him. and Behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. Those who have a plan to defend their home, if necessary, in the night or during the day, think through the steps. If that defense involves a weapon, then you think through all the steps that would be required. Our our protector is the Lord, but it's okay to have a plan to protect yourself physically as well. And that's a different sermon, and so if you don't like that, then that was not me, you just misheard me. But... The point is this. When you're thinking through those steps, if it's a firearm, you want to make sure you have ammunition and you know where it is and you're ready to use it. This is spiritual ammunition. that you've got the Word of God ready. Well, how's that going to happen? Again, you need to know the Word of God. You need to be in it, as I've told you, over and over and over. And you, hopefully you're sick of hearing me say that because I'm going to keep saying it. We have got to be in the word every day so that we begin to get more and more familiar with how God works, what pleases God, how the devil works, how the world works. And we begin to become familiar with his voice because we're in his word day in and day out. And then we need to be memorizing his word like fasting. It can be overwhelming. Start small. Memorize one verse. A week? One verse a month? One verse a month's not that many, but for some of you say, I don't know 12 verses now, you would in a year. Uh, Don't overwhelm yourself, but get in the Word. Begin to memorize it. I've never had a Word of the Year. I I saw someone post something about that January 1st, and it's never really been a thing for me. I didn't think a whole lot about it, but... We were talking uh, uh, with the family last week, and, and my Hannah was talking about her husband, Colin. And uh, he is my only son-in-law, but he's the best. And she said about him, she said, you know, he, did, he really desires to be blameless. And that's true about him. He's not here. Uh, it really is true about him. And I, I was thinking about that, and I came across in my quiet time, you know, a scripture with the word blameless. And I thought, that'd be a great word to have for this year. And it's easier to have the word. Uh, than to, to be blameless and to work towards being blameless. But, but I've begun trying to memorize some verses this year that have the word blameless in them. You might, you might do something like that. Use tools. Use a friend. Use accountability. Hey, when you see me at church, just ask me. You know, get a friend. Uh, how's it going? Are you working on scripture memory? Use, a, you can use an app if you're a, a phone person, scripture typer. It's a great little app. It'll just help you learn it'll it'll remind you when it's time to review all these there's ways that you can even carry them in your pocket like we used to do and that's still a great method just to carry it there when you're at a red light uh, pull it out not a green light pull it out look at it for a second whatever you need to do but use methods to help you to memorize the word of God it's powerful in our lives here's the tool Jesus gives us this tool now we know elsewhere he gives us the tool of prayer as we're in the word as we're in prayer Jesus said in the model prayer pray that you may not enter into temptation in the Christian life, the goal is not to get so strong spiritually that we say, bring it on, I can take any temptation. No, Jesus said, flee, get away. Temptation is going to come enough. Uh, you don't try to bring it on. Pray that we won't be led into temptation. But then when it comes, the word of God is where the power is at.